Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and Michelle's co-host here at the club. Now, we hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are. We look forward to seeing you in person someday in the future at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in more than 275 online programs the club has produced in the past seven months. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as audio and video from our past events and how you can help support our program production at commonwealthclub.org. If you are watching us live on YouTube, you can use the chat function to post questions for our panelists, and we'll work some of those into our conversation here today. And we have a lot to talk about tonight with our special guest, Joshua Wong, who is joining us live from Hong Kong. 23 years after Britain's handover of Hong Kong to China, the government in Beijing has begun to deepen its control over the politics of this special administrative region. Despite mass protests and muted criticism from the West, Beijing's communist government has put into place rules constraining democracy and free speech. We'll get into all of that, as well as the democracy activists in other countries that are looking to Hong Kong for support. Now, let me introduce Michelle Miao. She's a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors and the producer and host of the Michelle Miao Show. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John. Always a pleasure to have you as the co-host and uh, to be in company with you on this program. And thank you to the Commonwealth Club for providing the space and platform for us to have these discussions. A little bit about our guest tonight, if you're hearing of him for the first time, or just a fresh reminder if you know of him. He's been named by Time, Fortune, Prospect, and Forbes as one of the world's most influential leaders in 2018, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for his leading role in the Umbrella Movement. He was the former Secretary General of Demosisto. Joshua came into the political scene in 2011 at age 14 when he founded Scholarism and successfully protested against the enforcement of Chinese national education in Hong Kong. He has been arrested numerous times for his protesting and activism um, and has served over 100 days in jail. He has been the subject of two documentaries, including the Netflix original Joshua, Teenager vs. Superpower. And uh, now it's the first time his work has been published in English with his newly released book, Unfree Speech, The Threat to Global Democracy and Why We Must Act Now. Joshua, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. And it's my honor and pleasure to share more of my thoughts and ideas, especially even we are under the crackdown of Beijing. That is right. That is right. And, and I can't tell you how much we're so honored you're taking the time out. There's a lot happening right now, not only in Hong Kong, in China, but other parts of the world. I think you know where we can start off before we dive into what's happening right now is starting with you and talking about you know, what really drove you to advocacy and activism? As John had mentioned, you'd been born in, into uh, Hong Kong at, during a very specific time uh, in the handover. And so your experiences are different than most before your, before your time. Um, but, but a set of policies, I believe, you know, would lead you to become the big giant voice that you are today. Let's talk about some of those policies that were, uh, you know, that, that Beijing tried to impose that really drove you to your advocacy? Yeah, um, as the 24 years old uh, activist in Hong Kong, how I experienced the one country, two system promise has been eroded to be one country, one system under the hardline crackdown of Beijing. 
and also is how Beijing uh, continue to uh, tightening the grip and the original freedom that deserve to enjoy by Hong Kong people. So, which is really difficult for us to uh, overcome it. But for me, the starting point is at the age of 15, uh, I start to engage in social movement when Beijing decided to impose the brainwashing education to force all the primary and high school students not only love the country, but even loyal to the regime, that my starting point to found the student activist group Scholarism. And through rally, demonstration, campaign, and etc., at the age of 15, finally, I mobilized more than 100,000 Hong Kongers uh, surrounded the government headquarters and successfully forced the government uh, withdraw the evil plan to impose the national education brainwashing policy to a student in Hong Kong. What I believe is uh, the future of young generation to determine by themselves instead of our uh, future that being dominated by those upper class elite uh, belongs or do, uh, belongs to the upper class or uh, the red capitals of pro Beijing camps. And that's my starting point to realize that actions speak louder than words, and we need to make change in the society. Obviously, we want to talk about a lot of the things that Beijing is doing and trying to do in, in Hong Kong. I'm a bit curious on what, I mean, because a lot of people, unfortunately, in so many countries these days, including the United States, a lot of people are perfectly content to sit by and watch as democratic norms and democratic rights are taken away. Um, why? why did you not take that route? Why did you, you know, what, what, what inspires you or what drives you to be someone who stands up and puts yourself at risk for democracy? Um, my name, Joshua, is come from Bible, uh, Joshua and Bible. That's uh, my parents wish me just like Joshua and Bible that oppose social justice. And uh, we wish that uh, people live in Hong Kong can not be under the rule of the tyranny in the future. And uh, I would say that Hong Kong is the place that I born, I live, and I love a lot. And with the sense of belongings, I am proud to be a Hong Konger. I wish that uh, we can determine our future and uh, we make change because we hope uh, the place that we live can be a better place. And I think that's my starting point and motivation. So in the previous uh, journey, since the age of 15 till now, almost 10 years, uh, I've been arrested for 10 times and being jailed for three times. And right now I still have three court cases to handle. And next week I still need to attend the court hearing. But I would say that the threats can't defeat me, make me even stronger determination. Especially I wish people could realize that uh, compared to uh, other uh, more low-profile activists that has been jailed for four years, six years, or uh, how 16 years old high school student in Hong Kong being fired by life round by the riot police or etc. Uh, I have only served uh, 100 days in prison. The price I pay is just a small piece of cake. And with the courage and determination and the support of Hong Kong people, uh, that's my duty and responsibility to go forward. Let's get into you know the policies, attitude of of China, and kind of you know how that also shapes your feelings, your views as an activist. In your most recent book, you talk about China's Belt and Road Initiative, and I'll I'll go ahead and read an excerpt from from there. 
And, you know, the initiative is to challenge America's dominance in world trade and global diplomacy. In many ways, the one country, two systems formula for Hong Kong is also how the communist leadership views its relationship with the rest of the world. In his grand vision of a new global order, President Xi is advancing a one world, two empires framework in which the United States and its allies defend their liberal rights-based ideology, while China and other one-party states demand non-interference from the free world and quietly pursue an oppressive and expansionary agenda. Quite a description. <laughs> so let's let's dive into that in terms of, you know, what, yeah. what do you mean? Uh, in the past two decades, Beijing's aggressive expansion in Europe, Asia, and Africa has given a warning signal to democratic states all over the world. I believe the world is awakening from the Chinese nightmare since uh, Xi Jinping uh, who uphold and took the leadership in China and Hong Kong. But perhaps the international community has, in hindsight, only too little imagined the determination of Beijing to cross the promise of one country, two system. If we are determined to safeguard democratic aspiration under the retreat of democracy, we must act to defy China's dictatorial grip. And I'm particularly inspired by the movement in Belarus and Thailand this year, partly because of uh, how uh, the protests uh, found at most of the protest scene in Hong Kong in 2019. It's also because of the emotion invoked by recalling the memories of last year. And Hong Kongers, including me, are moved uh, by the courage uh, of the arrest student activists in Thailand, even through we have not met them in person. And I think the situation of Hong Kong is very much as same and uh, thanks to Twitter, and uh, social media. Uh, it breaks through the traditional media barrier. We know that uh, Hong Kong has never walked alone. So despite all this change, I believe together uh, we are making some very beautiful synergy and among uh, the free world, a greater force with more resolution, determine, resolute determination is emerging. And I find it empowering because uh, despite the physical distance, people from different places, no matter in Hong Kong, uh, in uh, Western world or in Asia, if we uh, believe in democracy, uh, freedom, and etc., uh, even we are facing similar difficulties while fighting for the same goal, uh, we still are on the same side. That's the reason that why we always emphasize the importance of stand with Hong Kong. You know, here I mentioned the United States. Obviously, we're we're in the United States, but uh, I think what's struck a lot of people in the United States over the past four or five years is the sad realization of just how many millions of our countrymen are perfectly fine with an authoritarian leader and with restrictions and, and you know, maltreatment by the government and such. Um, what stick with Hong Kong, but we could also talk then about Thailand, but I mean, in Hong Kong, where do you think the mass of the people are? Are you, are you, a, a, a voice of them or are you a voice of a student generation that maybe it doesn't have, you know, is differing from parents and grandparents in, in their aspirations? Uh, Hong Kong is a global city with only 7 million population, uh, but we have more than 10,000 people were arrested since last summer because of the uh, protests. Uh, 2,000 people were prosecuted. More than 100 of us were already physically locked up in prison. And the youngest one being arrested during protests 
is uh, was just at the age of 11, the oldest one at the age of 84, which means that no matter the generation of baby boomers or the generation of millennials and Gen X, all we stand as one with solidarity and unity. Uh, perhaps people always assume that only student or young generation might engage in political movement. But from my experience uh, in Hong Kong, it's the cross-generation collaboration. Uh, no matter elderlies uh, that, uh, that escape from the uh, cultural revolution in China and come to Hong Kong and stay for uh, perhaps five or six decades already, they are the... Uh, they're highly involved in our protest movement. Or how millennials uh, or youngsters born after the transfer of sovereignty in Hong Kong, we also realize that if greater city, just like New York or London, people can elect the mayor, so why can't Hong Kong people elect our government? The only request for us is to have a vote to push forward democratic reform and let people to be the master of our own house. And since last summer, uh, perhaps in lots of country, or places, uh, it might have uh, it might happen. Some of the protests with more than one million population uh, talk to the street within the same day. But in Hong Kong, such a city with only seven million population, on last summer, uh, within June, we have two out of seven million Hong Kong talk to the street within the same day. It might not be the largest protest within uh, the history of the world, but it might be almost the uh, largest protest with the highest ratio in this century uh, that uh, almost 20% almost, uh, of the people in this city talk to the street within the same day. And that's already the history of people. I want to talk a little bit about you know, the, the, the point that you just made in terms of the movement being cross-generational. I also think that you've been extremely successful in being able to pull in you know, other alliances such as the United States. The United States and the efforts of, of folks like yourself, you know, had just signed a, a bill, the, human, the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. I'd love for you to talk about that and just kind of, you know, the, your thoughts of what the movement reaching out to different allies from around the world, you know, for a pro-democracy movement. Uh, we wish the world could stand with Hong Kong, but uh, it's really important to emphasize the draconian national security law is a repressive tool against protesters and destroy our judicial system in Hong Kong. And this law is newly implemented to Hong Kong four months ago. And under the pretext of national security, uh, this law in Hong Kong purports to target acts of collusion with foreign force. But Beijing has never defined exactly what is collusion but it will wield massive discretionary power to punish activists and cut off Hong Kong from international society and a crucial support on the other. And uh, perhaps uh, under the arbitrary and the broad definition of um, Beijing, maybe uh, conducting this interview uh, or sharing might also be uh, under the definition of collusion with foreign force. So uh, as for myself since July, I have been under state surveillance and harassment on a daily basis. I had been in the most ex extreme cases. More than three vehicles uh, tell me through the day the risk of being arrested and even being extradited to China in is higher now compared to the uh, before the law is implemented. So I would say that um, 
within the previous summer is all um the difficult time that we face. Uh, no matter uh how the authorities call off the election and cancel it within this year with the excuse of COVID nineteen, and how our parliament uh in Hong Kong is replaced by an unconstitutional appointment, more and more crackdown uh will follow. And the authorities are keen to control every aspect of the society, and we have judge uh, resigned for having doubts on the national security law. Uh, we have church under complaints or for being sympathetic to protest her. Now they turn to civil servants, requiring them to pledge, uh, to Beijing government before taking a job. We even have teacher being, uh, fired ridiculously, uh, being fired because what he taught at class was not tolerated by the government. So I would say that it's upsetting because we all know what is happening is intimidation and control by fear. But as a political activist and one of Beijing most dislike, I believe to make our dissident voice heard is indeed a matter of survival. So if our voice is banned, there is absolutely no way we can enjoy freedom in other aspects, and that's the reason I think uh, the world, no matter politician, uh, ordinary citizens. Uh, people in entertainment industry or opinion leader, they could be the one that also sent a clear signal to Beijing. Uh, wolf warrior, wolf warrior diplomacy. Uh, is not the way out, and it's important to allow Hong Kong people to enjoy freedom. Talk a bit, if you would, about the Milk Tea Alliance. How that came about, and and especially to maybe Western audiences, the the roots of the name and 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 what you're doing. Um, so I think which would be really great uh, for me to share more of the uh, idea about the multi alliance because, uh, frankly speaking, uh, four or six years ago, uh, when we talk about uh international collaboration, always is only about uh politician in the Capitol Hill or uh in London. Uh, they might be the one that uh engage in the support or or uh be one of the stakeholders uh in global solidarity campaign or uh, other than politician it might be only i n g o just like amnesty international and that's all but I think for the milk alliance that is not kind of formal structural political alliance organization but this is the new innovative idea that allow every netizens uh in the world. They could show each of their support, uh, uh, especially if they live in Asia. So, uh, no matter people in Hong Kong, Taiwan, or Thailand, uh, if they are under the greatest suppression, uh, we will generate greater resistance with our solidarity. And no matter the online Twitter campaign, uh, campaign that uh, we have launched, uh, with the hashtag of Stand with Thailand. Or how uh we bring the idea of multi alliance, this innovative idea, from online to offline. Uh, we organize protests outside the Royal Thai Consulate, uh, in Hong Kong. Or how uh, Thai activists or people in Taiwan support Hong Kong a lot in last year protests. I think those also implying that together we are the louder voice that cannot be silenced. And this kind of grassroots diplomacy on social media also generated tremendous differences. And pressure for authorities for them to deal with. Staying on Milk Tea Alliance and the growing anti-government movement in in Thailand, I, I think 
for if you're not catching it, uh, it, you know, you can Google it, but it's in the news and it's making major headlines with thousands upon thousands of young folks. I think 70% of the folks who are going out to protest right now in Thailand are young people. Um, some, some might think that this is a little bit surprising coming from, you know, a country like Thailand that, uh, that seems democratic. But if you could talk a little bit about, you know, perhaps the, the background of it, the growing movement of young people who are growing impatient, maybe tired of their cur- current, you know, government structures, and even understanding, you know, what's, what's happening in Thailand. I think uh, the older generation might be asking, like, what exactly uh, do the young people want? Uh, always, uh, when we look into the protests in Thailand in the previous two or three decades, always uh, people might have the uh, stereotype or uh, assumption. It might just only about uh, uh, the struggle or uh, the conflict within the Thai authorities, especially the uh, the king of uh, Thailand and etc. And it's not directly related to the universal value or the structural reform or etc. Uh, but I think uh, in 2020, for the generation, uh, especially for those millennials, uh, most of them are never highly engaged in those political movements 10 or 20 years ago. And they come out to the street just because of a simple message is they help to ask for freedom and democracy, uh, no matter about uh, media censorship, uh, political suppression, uh, prosecution towards dissidents are all not the way out anymore for Thailand. And for the young generation, they also emphasize that uh, they were inspired by Hong Kong. And also, I think how uh, Taiwan activists also uh, engage a lot in the global community to prove that even people live in Asia deserve democracy. Even Chinese people uh, should enjoy free election. So I think this kind of collaboration uh, already implying that how we have the differences and uh, compared to the previous few protests in the pre- uh, in two or three decades ago, uh, we can make more change and uh, learn from the history and hope to go forward in the future. Um, we've kind of talked about some of the, the methods that, uh, are, and a lot has been written about the methods that uh, protesters have used in Hong Kong, uh, both to organize as well as to kind of get around some of the surveillance and and police tactics. And I guess a lot of that has been adopted in Thailand, and I'm reading it's been adopted in some other places, Indonesia, Malaysia. Um, do you think this is a these are this is an approach that protesters, pro democracy protesters, can use in pretty much any country in the world: Belarus, uh, Turkey, Philippines. Um, I believe the spontaneous online movement and the strategy within street protests. Uh, in Hong Kong since 2019, uh, both play an essential role in this unprecedented movement in 2020 in a different country. And we observe a ribbon mobilization on Twitter. Here in Hong Kong, we even develop a daily assignment for protesters and democratic supporters to participate on this frontier. Each day, you have got a list of essential treats to comment or retreat to boost protest-related content into hot topics. So I would say that uh, following the Thailand movement, uh, we connected uh, to share some Thai hashtag, even we don't know how to pronounce them properly. 
So I think this kind of online spontaneous collaboration, which is really uh, amazing. Uh, two or even one decade ago, social media is not popular as in 2020. So it's still far away for us to engage in it. From with the popularity of social media, just like Twitter in Hong Kong, it already become the important platform and tools for us to deliver our voice. I'll say this, I think that, you know, the movement has been successful in putting pressure in, in certain countries in, as far as highlighting the issues that people might not be paying attention to, such as the atrocities that are impacting ethnic Muslim minorities in countries like China um, and and Malaysia, uh, and as well as even climate change, climate justice in aligning with, you know, young activists like Greta Thunberg. Um, your feelings in terms of, you know, shared values as, as far as, I mean, let's just face it, the, yes, the younger generation are waking up, they, they are knowledgeable, they have lots of information about what's happening, and they have the courage to speak up a, a, about these things, you know, with the use of social media. Um, these shared values are not specific to just one, you know, country that is abusing human rights. Are, 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 are countries with authoritarian leaders or people who are violating human rights, do you think that they are listening, you know, as young people are waking up to these issues? Um, I would say that uh, from the perspective as a Hong Konger, uh, it still need more time for the ruling class to realize that uh, the momentum and the practice change already uh, compared to 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, because netizen and how uh, the grassroots diplomacy on social media, uh, those already generated tremendous differences to the protest movement compared to uh, how they handled those crises uh, in two or three decades ago. Uh, just take a normal example. Uh, I think the 2019 Hong Kong protests compared to the 1989 uh, student movement in Tiananmen Square in Beijing uh, even it's only three decades, but it's totally different. Uh, no matter global pressure, netizen engagement, and even in 1989, it's still the era that without internet. So I think with this kind of change, uh, the ruling class or those uh, or for those world leaders that belongs to authoritarian uh, country or city might not really uh, easy for them to reflect and to understand that the game has changed already, and especially for those country. Uh, have no idea uh, to deal with the free flow information on social media and internet, just like how China set up the Great Firewall, or how we realize uh, that uh, they would love to use the Wolf Warrior Diplomacy, expanded influence in Belt and Road Initiative. And uh, I would say that's one of the reasons why uh, people in Thailand care Hong Kong or China a lot. Uh, part of the reason is about the Belt and Road Initiative. Thai government is also one of the uh, participants or uh, in this uh, cross-border infrastructural development. So with this kind of idea and uh, um, and ambitious uh, for uh, China to expand its influence, it's just striking more and more uh, risk uh, of eroding the liberal value and the international order that we believe in. But at the same time, it also uh, generate more opportunity for activists to have more collab collaboration because we have the same uh, enemy and the same uh, challenges or even the same 
issue that we need to oppose it. We, and I think you've done some of this on, on your social media, uh, pointed out China using its international powers, connections, money, and all that, especially through its Belt and Road uh, partners or whatever, clients, um, to exert pressure on people who are speaking out against China and Chinese policies elsewhere, such as uh, uh, the Turkish-German uh, soccer star, Mehmet uh, Ozil, I believe, um, who uh, was left out of, uh, I think it was Championship League uh, play because of uh, pressure from China. Um, do do you see China? Is there a is there any organized sense internationally among activists and others, policymakers and such, to try to address that so that China doesn't get to just go over and and, and throw its weight around everywhere and and you know doing it within its own borders can be bad enough. Doing it among you know around the world can be lethal. Yes, that's why I think why uh, Hong Kong master the world is not only about the protest scene in Hong Kong that all we saw last year in uh, different TV channel or social media. It's because uh, Hong Kong people are the ones stand in the forefront to confront the largest authoritarian regime crackdown not in Hong Kong. Uh, yesterday is Xinjiang, today is Hong Kong, tomorrow is Taiwan, and later on is the rest of Asia and especially for the Western world. So uh, for how Beijing violated the promise in the Sino-British Joint Declaration, the UN filed a uh, document. Uh, I think it would not surprise at all in the future. Uh, it will, uh, Beijing would also use the same tactics to block the promise in any international treaty. So how to hold China accountability is not only the matter for Hong Kong people, it's also, the import, it's also important for the world to aware that how could they deal with it and to push forward uh, more of the uh, attention on Hong Kong. And that's why we always say that uh, if we wish to fight for freedom, it's important to stand with Hong Kong. Yeah. So I would say that with this, uh, with the global uh, community more and more realizing that uh, China transformed it to be the second largest superpower, show no respect on international order or liberal value, uh, it's time to take action and action speak louder than words. If you're joining us live and have a question or comment for Joshua, we will take them um, and we'll try to get them to him. Um, you wrote in your book, political imprisonment is an inevitable step on the path to democracy. Uh, you had witnessed lots of young people, you know, in the demonstrations in Hong Kong who were arrested and also who are serving time currently. And even if we look at Thailand right now, you know, the thousands of folks who were protesting, uh, a, a few of them have been arrested. There's eight currently detained who are looking at serving some serious time. Uh, and looking at some severe punishment and consequences and charges. And I, I'd i love to hear, you know, just um, your thoughts in terms of, I, I think for an activist like you, you know, what is what is the worth for democracy? It probably means everything. Uh, but yet I'd, I'd love for people to also understand that our, our youths are, are being incarcerated, are being thrown in jail. Some are looking at life sentences you know, to be able to stand out there and protest peacefully for what they believe in. 
talk to us about this idea that political imprisonment is an inevitable step on the path to democracy. I would say that it's really difficult and always not easy to overcome the pressure. But what we ask for is uh, we wish to determine our own uh, destiny. And also uh, we wish to let people to realize that how uh, we deserve to enjoy freedom. And I also would love to give some of the brief update of my situation. So a uh, court hearing are fixed one after one for me in the upcoming months. Uh, although I am facing jail for the fourth time, it's my humble wish that the global community would put more attention over the situation in Hong Kong. A uh, lot activists up in prison, uh, it's a uh, tactics generated the chilling effect and also the hotline uh, strategy that keep us distant out from the society. In prison, the place that uh, even I have the experience to force to train with marching exercise and uh, squat uh, day by day, uh, those are the pressure that's not easy to overcome at all. But I'm sure it would be helpful uh, to devote continuing attention to the development in Hong Kong, uh, no matter regarding uh, state target like myself or 12 detained activists in mainland China. Uh, also, uh, instead of expecting only rely on uh, politicians or world leaders engaged in high politics, I think for ordinary citizens, how to confronting against Chinese state propaganda lies or fake news uh, is also the way to stand with people of Hong Kong. Uh, so I think that's the reason that we really hope people to know that uh, lock us up in prison is not easy to handle the pressure. Uh, we will miss our friends and families a lot. Uh, but I would say that even they lock our body up in prison, they can lock up our mind. And that's also uh, enhance our determination to fight for freedom. You've mentioned now a couple times the uh, taking of, of activists who have been arrested from Hong Kong to mainland China. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I don't think a lot of folks maybe out here know what that, that that's going on, as well as why China would be doing what would happen to them in, in, in China, in mainland China. Is this mainly a thing to basically take them away so that China can do with them what they wish or what? Um, so more recently, we are more concerned about the 12 Hong Kong activists who were uh, arrested and kidnapped in the sea by the Chinese authorities. Uh, two months have passed already and 12 Hong Kongers in Shenzhen in mainland China are still denying the access to lawyers, families and medical needs. We suspect they are under torture during detention and now we call for help on the international level. And I must thank uh, the protester in Thailand and also uh, politicians in different countries who are also supporting our cause on Twitter by taking part in our hashtag campaign, uh, Save12. And uh, as the one who have been arrested by Hong Kong police, 
prosecuted in Hong Kong courts and locked up in Hong Kong prison. Uh, of course, that's a nightmare. But I think the more and more nightmare or even uh, the worst scenario is to be arrested by uh, Chinese authorities, uh, being prosecuted in China courts, and also being locked up in China's prison. And I think that's experience already uh, suffered uh, by that 12 Hong Kongers. And uh, how to uh, urge the government to return them back, bring them back to Hong Kong, that's the most important demand for us right now. And we talked a little bit you know, earlier about the U.S. involvement in terms of uh, passing a, a couple bills to it pro Hong Kong. What other countries can be considered, you know, alliances in this movement, especially when you talk about, again, young people or activists or freedom fighters, you know, who may be facing another you know, atrocious moment or, uh, of, uh, of some infringement of their, their rights. I mean, some, I think, I, I can't officially say it, but it is like what you had just said, rumored, they can be tortured, they, they, they're missing. I, I think what sparked the Thailand movement was an activist who had gone missing, but we, we don't, we even know, you know, if his body's been recovered or what's going on and people are fearing uh, the worst, death. If we were to make a big enough noise outside of the United States, what other, what other countries can be considered alliances? To many dissidents and protesters in Hong Kong, um, with the national security law, is being forced to uh, accept hostile strangers walking into our life. Uh, this fear becomes more horrible after 12 Hong Kong activists were kidnapped to China this August that I mentioned uh, already. And uh, I, we also are aware, uh, aware that uh, we need to think about how to overcome the pressure because uh, no one could guarantee that or to uh, expect that uh, today, uh, maybe tomorrow, 6 a.m. in the morning, will riot police storm into your house with national security agent to arrest and detain you suddenly without any expectation. And I think it's important for the world to stand with Hong Kong. And stand with Hong Kong is not about the matter of left or right. It's about the matter of right or wrong. And uh, no matter uh, politicians, uh, uh, opinion leader, businessmen, or etc., how to hold China's accountability and urge them to respect the international order and liberal value. I think that's the challenge that uh, we need to face. And we also hope to overcome it in the future. And um, if you ask how could we keep on the fight, no matter in local or global community, I would say that in these dark times, the last thing I would like to see is people losing faith, doing nothing about the situation, but counting down to more arrests ahead, uh, uh, more of the suppression or uh, in the global community. It's also the reason we have to continue our struggle, no matter in local or global level, because we don't want our beloved ones to suffer. And I think for the uh, global community, uh, while I understand in the Western world, well, um, there are call for more cooperation, especially between European government or uh, even for United States and China to guide the regime, to guide this authoritarian regime towards democratic norms 
um, that's the assumption when how the Western world welcome uh, China to enter WTO. But to me, with the experience in the two decades, especially now with the leadership of uh, Xi Jinping, these are only concessions. It is proven multiple times in terms of trade, digital security, or in territorial disputes uh, that the communist government is not a responsible country who play by the rules. So I see no point of aiding and assisting the greatest threat to human rights to expand its scale of violence in Hong Kong, Xinjiang, Taiwan, and also in Asia. So I think how could a country around the world or for the global community reveal, reflect, and to amend its foreign policy to China and Hong Kong, especially after the national security law is implemented, which is really matter. Um, so there are certain things then that the gov- different governments can do to put pressure on and, and to sanction or, or try to pressure uh, Beijing's government. Can you give uh, individuals in other countries some concrete things that they can do, that they can do online, that they can do communicating to their government or that they can do with the companies they work in? What can individuals do to add their weight to uh, supporting Hong Kong? Uh, for individuals, it would be great to encourage uh, their uh, lawmaker or those elected uh, councillors uh, to care more about Hong Kong and uh, also encourage their leaders, uh, represented the country, uh, try to put Hong Kong under the global spotlight. And uh, apart from on political aspect, I think uh, how as a ordinary citizen or netizens uh, with our hashtag safe 12 campaign, how to uh, post it online, which would be also important, uh, which also led authorities to realize that care about the 12 Hong Kong activists being secretly detained in China is not only about the matter of Hong Kong, it's also about the matter of the global community. And with uh, how about the NBA uh, censorship incidents in 2019, uh, about how uh, game players of Blizzard uh, being political censor, and also about how the Nintendo Switch game Animal Crossing is banned uh, in mainland China. I think how the entertainment industry and how uh, tech company that are uh, facing the pressure of China or some of them count out to Beijing, how could uh, those uh, consumer or supporters uh, of the entertainment industry or tech company could put more pressure on them uh, I think much would be also critical. As you might know, and many people, um, you're tuning in, you know, the United States in less than two weeks will decide on a president for the next four years. Whoever becomes president, does this matter to you in the movement? Um, more matter for Hong Kong people is we hope not only uh, United States, but the Western world could continue to pay attention to Hong Kong. And uh, no one could hold a crystal ball to predict the future. Uh, I remember four years ago uh, when I traveled to the United States, it's exactly the week uh, before and after the election day. So uh, lots of the criticism and assume that uh, uh, President Trump uh, might uphold the value of isolationism, never care about uh, foreign policy or et cetera. That's the assumption we have four years ago, but uh, with the previous four years, no matter you are agree or disagree as the supporter or haters uh, of Trump or not, all we realize is uh, no one expect or uh, or recognize 
Trump really uphold the ideology of isolationism, especially uh, with the Trump administration uh, put attention to Hong Kong, which is really irrelevant, ir- irrelevant with the idea of isolationism. So I would say that uh, in the upcoming future, uh, we hope to seek for bipartisan support and we wish uh, different uh, candidates and also for those um, politicians, no matter they are running, they run for office, uh, uh, as a senator, congressman, uh, to be uh, the president, or etc., or they uh, they are uh, they live in United States or not, they could continue to uh, put attention to Hong Kong. I think that's really important if they think that uh, the foreign policy towards China is matter. As we look around the world, where democracy is being threatened, or where people are trying to get it established and are being really, uh, you know brutally uh, beaten down, like such as Belarus. Um, you know, we see what's happening in Poland, Hungary, uh, Turkey, Russia, the Philippines, Thailand, and of course what's happening here in the United States. Michelle and I recently interviewed Philippine journalist Maria Reza about her critical reporting of that country's authoritarian president, Duterte. Um, and I asked uh, Reza if it was essentially game over, you know, is democracy losing? And she said, no, Now, now is the time. Now is the time to fight. Are you essentially an optimist or a pessimist about this fight? One, you're, you're clearly dedicated to fighting, but uh, optimistic or pessimistic? I've no hope towards the regime, but I've hoped towards people. And ho- always Hong Kong people uh, surprise me a lot and uh, never uh, upset on them. Uh, after the end of Umbrella Movement, uh, without the... Uh, concrete change in the political system. People always assume that it's already the end of Hong Kong. And after the 2014 umbrella movement uh, with 1898 gas and people being arrested and locked up in prison, uh, no one would care about politics anymore, especially for the generation born after the transfer of sovereignty. Uh, those kids and youth might just uh, love to travel to mainland China uh, and uh, using TikTok or Weibo or etc. That's our previous assumption. But in 2019, uh, with the protest, it uh, happened. It already proved that that's not the end game of Hong Kong. And one day is still uh, under authoritarian rule. We are under and suffer in the infinity war. So perhaps it is a long-term battle for us. Uh, but I would always say that uh, there's no reason for us to kowtow uh, to Beijing. I think resistance will carry on in the dark, no matter what the authorities judge us. We don't do things because it has a great chance to success. We do because it is the right thing and it makes sense. Uh, perhaps defeat uh, the dark failure, need more and more time for us to overcome the fear and threat. But in the upcoming future, we'll have more and more young Jedi engaged in this battle. You're so inspirational and, um, you know, I can't help but just feel so, so connected, you know, to the struggle and to the movement and uh, compassionate, you know, for you. You've given up so much at a young age. You mentioned it at the top of the, the show since 15 years old. You're still facing other legal battles that will limit your own freedoms. And I can't help but ask you know, I, uh, your, uh, the people around you, the people who care about you, your family, uh, and kind of, you know, their perspective and how they feel. 
I would imagine that they're part of the fight because the harder they fight, maybe the, the possibility of you being free is higher and higher. Um, but what is it like, you know, to have to continue to fight and ask for your family and friends to understand, you know, what's at stake and what you're willing to give up? Uh, my family and friends are really supportive and they uh, always encourage me to keep on the fight and not to give up. And I think how the parents support, which is really important. And in Hong Kong, a lot of pro-Beijing parents in the previous day have lots of criticism to um, those uh, young generation. But since the protest in 2019, it just triggered more and more pro-Beijing elderlies or a generation of baby boomers turn to the side of pro-democracy. I guess, tell us what the current state is of, of Beijing's attempts to get, you know, we, we've talked about the education law, which kind of got you started in, in activism. Uh, we talked about um, the, uh, was it the national security law? Um, I mean, and and we talked about the the elections being delayed. What currently is the government pushing? Are they are they do they have something they're trying to get established, like uh, taking control of various institutions, or are they focusing on trying to keep it calm and just you know uh, intimidate uh, activists such as yourself? Uh, so in Hong Kong, while. Beijing is not confident to take the majority for the pro-Beijing camp in the Hong Kong legislature. They just uh, try and plan to cancel the election and postpone for at least one year. And not surprised at all, in 2021, they will postpone it for a year again and use different kinds of excuse, no matter the emergency ordinance or COVID-19 or any kind of pandemics, because uh, they fear about free election. Because free election uh, in the Hong Kong legislature implying that they might lose the majority. And uh, finally, the legislature would turn to be the place that represented the voice of people instead of uh, gathering a group of puppets of communist China. And uh, I would say that um, apart from the election being a de facto call off, uh, how uh, China also planned to allow people live in Beijing and Shanghai to vote in Hong Kong election. But it's really unreasonable because people live in Hong Kong, uh, only people live in Hong Kong could have the right to vote. And how can people that never live in Hong Kong could have the right to vote for uh, the lawmaker that uh, represented uh, people of Hong Kong? And if the voting station set up in uh, mainland China, in Beijing, Shanghai, or Shenzhen, not surprised at all, they would just enhance the greatest election manipulation in Hong Kong history. Yeah, so I think that's also what we care about. Yeah, less than uh, eight minutes left. And so if you've got a burning question or comment, you can send them through. And John will try to get them to Joshua. Uh, as we wind down, Joshua, I think, you know, uh, what's important for us is we're, we're really trying to look forward to the future. I think these movements are making a, a big uh, making some noise, at least. I mean, people are paying attention and people are seeing that change can happen. You had mentioned, you know, a bipartisan or or even yet any any anybody coming together to, for the fight for democracy. You've done that in the United States. You came to the states. You worked with folks like, you know, Senator Marco Rubio, 
um, and, and the president even who had to sign that law and then meeting, you know, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. If you could give us just some some thoughts on what what is the overall kind of short term vision that you might see for 2021, which is a very difficult conversation to have, considering personally you're up against your own battles. Um, but even even for a country like Thailand that's going through, you know, their political movement right now and kind of what you might see could p- potentially happen in, in the next three to six months. Um, I'm not sure how will be the outcome and no one could hold a crystal ball to predict the future. But I wish in 2021, people will be more care about Hong Kong and Hong Kong will be still under the global spotlight. And more important is... Uh, since uh, the outbreak of the coronavirus uh, with the export of the uh, COVID-19 from Wuhan in mainland China to a country all over the world, uh, which already implying that Beijing is the country that is, uh, Beijing is the one who uh, show no respect on transparency, check and balance, and also have strong intention to punish the risk blower and just result in this global pandemic. So how could uh, the world uh, uh, urge and put pressure and to uh, ask China to respect more of free flow of information, which is really important. And in the upcoming future, uh, I will continue to urge people uh, to engage in our hashtag safe Twelve campaign and also opposing setting up uh, our voting station in Beijing or Shanghai and uh, how is the time uh, to stop the political prosecution with the draconian national security law. And for the global community, how to deal with the post-pandemic era. Uh, we are not sure where will be the post-pandemic period, and we wish we could come as soon as possible. But later on, with the outbreak of this virus and how China show no respect and uh, effort to um, the WHO, or WHO just become the puppet of the communist regime. I think those are the issues that the world must care about. Now, you, you, you did you put yourself did put forward yourself as a candidate, candidate for, for uh, office uh, in Hong Kong before, before the government, government uh, kicked you off. Kicked you off. Um, um, a, a, would you, would you try, it try it again? And B, and B say, you, say you, you, you are able to, are able to have some have big successes there in, 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 in Hong Kong and democracy is stabilized or whatever. What do you what see do you as see your, individual your individual future? future? Do, you do you see it as being in politics, or, or would you then, would you then focus, on focus on something else in your career? career? What do you see as you your, your future? Uh, even Beijing censured me twice uh, from the ballot in 2019 and 2020 election, but they can't censure my involvement and qualification continue to engage in the democracy movement. Uh, and at the same time, we also know that it's not only about censor uh, any candidate out from a ballot. It's about how they cancel the election and call it off sub- uh, directly. And in the future, I will continue to engage in political movement in Hong Kong, stay and fight until Hong Kong is Hong Kong again. This most recent book that has been released, and thank you for that. A lot of it was written, um, dial or I'm sorry, diary and journal entries that you'd written while you were in prison or serving time. You know what? 
are some things that you learned during your time uh, while you served? Uh, when I was serving jail sentence, of course, it's the difficult uh, time for me. But I always realized that um, my previous eight or ten years journey is already implying about actions speak louder than words and be the change we want to see. And we will continue to make change be the society. Uh, instead of wait until graduate from school, entering the government or worse acts and professionals, uh, to enter the elite circle. More important is to take action. Even we are still in school, even we are still a young kid, or even we still belongs to uh the young generation. So, uh, that's why uh spend time in prison is uh not easy, but it's also encouraged me to overcome the fear and threat. Any other? You have questions, John? Well, uh, no, I mean, there was, there was one question from the audience uh, asking about uh, about how many protesters have been jailed since June 2019 and how many are still in jail. Do you know those numbers? Uh, more than 10,000 Hong Kongs were arrested. More than uh, 120 people were uh, still physically locked in prison. And uh, more than 2,000 of us still waiting for the trial, verdict and sentencing. Uh, just a some a couple last questions. One, um, we had witnessed uh, law enforcement around the world really utilize some of these tactics against uh, peaceful protesters just in Thailand. Uh, the high pressure water being sprayed with tear gas, um, tear gas here in the United States, and rubber bullets, and all 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 of these things. Do you think that you know? I, I think we're making progress. I mean, here in the states, you see some states. Uh, pass laws that make it illegal to use those types of things against freedom fighters, uh, peaceful protesters. Will this catch fire? All we know is authoritarian regime around the world will learn from each other, just like how activists around the world will learn from each other. And uh, we know the uh, police in Thailand uh, already declared that they learned some of the tactics from Hong Kong police. And for some of the uh, weapons, and uh, uh, water cannon vehicles, uh, Thai authorities claim that they purchased it in Asia also. So I think in the upcoming future, no matter we in the previous day have launched a campaign, uh, urge uh, United States to stop the exportation of uh, tear gas canister to Hong Kong and is successfully being stopped in uh, 2019. Uh, I think those kind of global campaigns also matter because um, the dictator will learn from each other. And also, uh, activists will learn from each other. So how we can learn as fast as possible and faster than those opponents, which is really critical. Last question for you, Joshua, and we'll let you go. We've already spent an hour with you, and thank you so much for your time and uh, for the information, the education, the activism, your courage. I, I can't uh, you know, thank you enough for all that you do and for a lot of young people around the world. And the last question is really not that serious, but it's, it's, you know, just a question of what do you do as a hobby for, for free time, fun time? Uh, what does Joshua do, you know, to have a good time? Uh, I love Avengers a lot and I'm waiting for the new movie of uh, Spider-Man and also uh, wish that uh, 
because of the pandemic, uh, it delay and delay and delay, and we uh, we hope uh, I hope that uh, before I go into the jail, I can watch the new Spider Man movie. Uh, it's I'm really excited about it, and I also uh, play uh, PS Four and also uh, waiting for the new game release in PS Five. Yeah. Well, we're gonna fight. We're gonna fight for you. Hopefully, we'll share the 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 heck out of this show, and we'll try to get everybody involved so that uh, Beijing and and you know Hong Kong listens in both ways, and you don't have to serve any time. Hopefully, we're praying for that. Um, Joshua, thank you so much for joining us here for the program, and again, thank you for your advocacy and activism for democracy. And thank you all for for joining us tonight for this special program. I'll leave John with the last word. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Michelle. And thanks, everyone, watching us online. And have a good weekend. You can find out more about us, about past programs, audio and video, and everything else at commonwealthclub.org. Thank you.